show me the way to go home. Well, that's exactly what Luke's all about. He loves the word, the way, because Luke, Uncle Luke, I like to call him, is showing us the way, the way that he saw, the way that he heard. He's just like you and me, you know? Oh, maybe he's not. He actually knew the uh, the handpicked guys of Jesus. He didn't get to meet Jesus either. So anyhow, but fortunately for us, Luke says, God shows up in low places. You know why that's good for us? I'm from low places. I assume most people are from low places. I'm not a high flute and ivory tower guy. And God's closest friends, well, they're always in low places. That's what I love about God. Come on in. Let's check this out. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 21. Welcome to the Biblical Channel, and uh, we are always glad that people are here. Our, our number one ambition is to get the Bible into your life, to put it in a fun way, to talk about it, you know, simply to, you know, read your Bible, say your prayers, and and have fun, get together with friends, talk about stuff, because these are the substance of the best stories. It's overall the best story, and then it's made up of the best stories in between. I love the ESPN commercials that are running on about, you know, how ESPN feels like they have the greatest story ever played in college football. And I've said this over and up, keep saying this for a while, because I think it's worth noting because they're hitting the nail on the head. Great stories have drama, they have action, they have love, love that makes you do crazy things, uh, you know, people you root for um, once in a while, a miracle even. Yeah. So great stories have openings that just suck you in, a middle that holds you together, and a mind-blowing, nail-biting ending that just simply leaves you smiling. The Bible always leaves me smiling, always. And 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 I can't imagine how it wouldn't make everybody smile. So we'll uh, take a look at how the Bible is God's playing out his story. The Bible claims that God does show up, and when he shows up, it's not the way we would think that he shows up. Yes, it's got some miracles, but come on, man, it's God. You know, if God's going to tell a story, play out a story, don't we expect them to, you know, throw some excitement in there? I do. So this week, this week, we're going to see God in low places. God in low places. I got friends in low places, so I'm glad God is in low places. So let's pray the way Mary prays, because that girl, that young lady was given to us as a gift to model our lives after. So if you're a tough guy, you better start praying like Mary. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he's exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. Now, man, if you don't know what Mary's talking about, 
Well, she just gave you a summary of the whole old part of the Bible, and now the new Bible, the new part of the Bible is being written. We might just say the ending. You see, the old part of the Bible, the Old Testament, it's a book without an ending. This is the ending, and it's a great ending. Man, it's a nail-biting ending. I mean, it's crazy, but this is the beginning of the ending. So let's dive in. Take a look at Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 21. It's an old story that you know. Everybody knows this story. It is the birth of Jesus Christ story, according to Luke. Anyhow, let's just read it and talk about it, as we always should. I believe this time I'm going to read it the whole way through. And uh, yeah, I believe it's familiar territory to everybody. And it's just great to read the Bible, to get the story framed up, and uh, to then take a look at it and make sure that we see what Luke has put there for us to see in plain view. Get rid of your, uh, you know, whatever you think you know, always come at the Bible with a fresh willingness to learn something and to see it for what it really is. You know, the, the, the greatest problem we have with the Bible is people just don't read it. So we're going to read it. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus whoo, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration of Quirinius, the um, governor of Syria, and all went to be registered each to his own town. Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is Bethlehem because he was of the household and the lineage of David, which is called Bethlehem. Well, anyhow, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, there, there was the time came to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for him in the end. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will will be for all people. For unto you this is, is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel of multitude and heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory and to God in the highest on earth peace amongst those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the, he- the shepherds said to one another, Well, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which, is, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when, the ch- when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. Um, and all who heard it wondered what the shepherds were telling them. But Mary, she treasured up these things in her heart, and she pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen and as had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he, the baby, was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. End scene. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, I got news for you. I'm here to encourage you to understand your Bible well, but every once in a while, I got to point out that we have a version of the Bible that has come to us by word of mouth, not by the text. The text, in this case, actually says something a little different than what we're usually familiar with come 
the Christmas story, you know, the big story, the story of Jesus being born, you know, supposedly, you know, Mary, she's pregnant, she's on that donkey, you know, and, and they're coming in in the middle of the night and she's like, oh, I, oh, 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 I got labor pains, I got labor pains. And, and they go knocking on the door and everybody's like, no, we don't want you. We don't want your kind here. That's not how the story goes. That's not what Luke's telling you. Okay, so let's just take one step at a time. Let's take one step at a time and see what Luke is putting right there in front of our face. What does Luke emphasize that is magnificent about this story? And let's keep in mind Mary's words, because Luke has put Mary's words before this scene so that we would see the main point of this story, God at work, God showing up in low places. Anyhow, so the first thing that Luke presents to us is big man Caesar Augustus. He's a real person in a real time. We know that. And Jesus Christ is born in a real time in a real place. So that's part of the point. You know, under, you know, Quirinius, the Syria of, uh, governor of Syria, whatever. But Caesar Augustus is a, a main focus of Luke. He's like, in those days, Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus, man, you know, if you don't know much about your Roman history, he was the big man of all big men. He was the first genuine emperor of the Roman Empire. He is the nephew of Julius Caesar, who they stabbed to death, you know, and then by conquest, Julius, you know, had left everything to his nephew, and his nephew made sure that Julius's dream of an empire was going to happen. So, so this guy, his name's really Octavius. I don't know if you knew that or not, but anyhow, Octavius takes on the name Augustus Caesar. Caesar Augustus big name for yourself, bro. Caesar is just a family name that Julius had picked up on, you know, went back, you know, many, many, many generations. But Augustus, that word means I'm the coolest. I'm the best. I am all there is. And, and this guy was a genuine ass kicker. I mean, he literally brought the whole Mediterranean region under Rome's thumb, man. This guy, then he would turn around and he would say, I'm just here for peace. Yeah, well, ask ask the people that he conquered if he was just there for peace. Pax Romana, that was the big saying, Pax Romana, if you know your Roman history. But that's kind of the play that Luke is pointing out. Caesar Augustus, big man, big man of the Mediterranean, the world. There's nobody bigger in the world than Caesar Augustus. And what is he doing? Counting people. Why is he counting people? Well, because he controls people. Why is he counting people? Because he taxes people. Because he puts them under his thumb. That's what Rome does. Pax Romana, peace of Rome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with a really tight grip and a finger pointed in your finger, say, pay up, my friend. So anyhow, the big man of the empire, what's he doing? Counting people. Counting people, all the people. He's got to get everybody counted so he can collect taxes on them. Okay, so that is the opening scene. Keep that in your memory banks because what I'm placed in, you know, from here on out is directly connected to that. I don't know if you ever knew that or not, but the, you know, the Christmas story, the baby story, the baby Jesus story, it's all connected to the big man supposedly of the world at this time and what happens right under his nose and how he has absolutely no clue. And there's a bit of a contest coming up, a showdown to speak. So anyhow, you know, so the scene switches over to Joseph. Joseph um, is now our focused, you know, feature guy. Joseph is from the house of David. Joseph is, you know, following the orders of the big man, Caesar Augustus, and he's heading to his hometown 
you know, uh, the town of his heritage, he's heading back so that he can get properly counted in the census. That was the order that went out. So he's just dutifully doing his orders. But believe you me, if you didn't catch hold of it at the end of Genesis, what we mean for evil, God means for good. So God's, God's featured man is Joseph here, Mary's husband. Okay, and um, and and they roll. They go back to to Bethlehem. We're told because well, uh, that's that's his hometown. But the other thing that we are you know, kind of confronted with is the fact that he's from the house of David, and so the house of David carries with it this great promise that God had made to Jacob's you know grandson uh, or, or Jacob's son Judah rather. And, and also to David, King David, that there was a Messiah, there was a Christ, there was a King of God, an anointed one that was coming from the house of David. And so there's some tension in the air, right? Because the big man is supposedly Caesar Augustus, but God is bringing his own big man into the world, got to hold that. You got to see it. You got to know what's going on here. We know the angel had said all of that. We even heard it in Mary's own prayer that this is the promise of God made to Abraham through through Isaac and Jacob and and Judah. And now the son, you know, and, and David, the king, this promise, this promise God has never forgot. And now's the time that he's bringing it up. Okay. So anyhow, we got this, you know, kind of God clash with a world leader that is you know, percolating in the backwaters of Jerusalem, of, of Judah, of the, you know, the, the area called Judah. Okay, but here's the funny thing. Then the tide turns, and the emphasis is, where is this big clash of God with the Roman Empire and the Roman Emperor going to occur? Where is God going to bring his promised Messiah into the world? Into a peasant home. That's where. Into a peasant home. And the text says, literally, and while they were there. So this idea that they came in the middle of the night, the text doesn't say that. The text says, while they were there, meaning they've been there for a, a while. They, you know, and listen, journeying by foot, you know, and nobody made plans for the weekend. You know what I mean? Like to go to a distant place. You made plans for months. You're going to be gone. You had to be gone. And, and, and so, you know, everybody's kind of rolling into Bethlehem who does have some sort of connection with the house of David, for sure. Or some sort of connection to the town of Bethlehem. That's for sure. But where does this birth take place? That what Luke is pointing out, it happens in a peasant home not a palace, not an ivory tower, but a peasant home. Because while she was there, the time for her to give birth came. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and put him in a manger. Now, you and I have trouble with this because we think of mangers. We know it's a food trough, right? You know, we all wrap stuff around babies, so we're not, we're, we're, we're like, okay, whatever. And, and um, you know, and then you know, laid in a food trough, we're like, man, it must be in a barn. This is the trap or the, the problem of English translations. Um, don't forget, the Bible was only translated into English 400 years ago. And there was a problem in the translation, a little problem, not a big problem, but the problem is in this word in, that there, because there was no place for them in the inn. If you have a good translation of the Bible, it'll tell you down at the footnotes that that word in can also mean 
uh, uh, an extra room. And that's the better reading, an extra room, because there was no place in the extra room. The other thing is, is that any Middle Eastern peasant reader of this text would automatically know that if you're wrapping a baby in swaddling clothes, that means you're wrapping this baby in rags. Available cloth. Available cloth is what swaddling clothes means. Okay, not cute little stuff we bought at, you know, Toys R Us. You know, nothing like or Babies R Us. Nothing like that. This is not a cute baby outfit. This is this is wrapping your baby in rags, which everybody does if you're a peasant. And they also put them in the manger, the food trough, because the manger, the food trough, is actually in the house. Everybody had a couple of animals, you know, probably a donkey, donkey, and uh, you know, a goat. You know, you didn't go to the store for milk. You you had a goat. And that's where that was your source of milk if you had one. So, so they were too expensive of animals to leave outside, which they would take them out every day. But they would bring them inside the house, provide a little warmth. But they were cherished possessions, man. You couldn't afford to lose them. So your animals came into the house, and the front end of the of the peasant's house was lower, so so that they you know the the animals were at a different level, so they didn't middle you know mingle in or you know get into the house. And then at that elevation was set the food troughs where they could eat, mangers. And so any peasant Middle Easterner hearing this story knows exactly what Luke is emphasizing, that this grandiose plan of God, this grand plan of bringing a a supernatural pregnancy to Mary and, and her now having the baby is happening in a peasant home. And that wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger keeps, is emphasized three times in the passage. That's what Luke wants you to see. Not that there's some sort of scandal or controversy. Listen, this is also a Middle Eastern town. If Joseph is of the line of David, he's going to be welcomed in. Everybody's being welcomed in because the Middle Eastern, you know, mindset of the peasant is is that hospitality is the most important thing. There is no such thing as somebody from from the king of David's line coming into town and not having a place to go. They had no place for him in the inn, meaning the, the town is jammed. It's the town is packed. Every house, every house is packed. Every house has guests. And the reason why the baby was laid in a manger, it's quite regular for peasant folks, but it's just because simply there was no room in the guest room. There was no room in the rentable room, whatever you want to call it. Um, but there's no room there. So so this is where the baby is. So then the scene turns. And and when the scene turns, it turns to outside the the city limits and it goes into the fields and it finds who God's invited guests. Who's God inviting to the party, his personal party, his, 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 you know, grand entrance into the world. He's inviting the shepherds. And again, our, our Western mindset, you know, has this really romantic idea about shepherds. And even the Bible has a little bit of a romantic idea about shepherds, but the real world's never looked at shepherds as cool people. They were smelly. They were dirty. They were usually considered kind of bums. Nobody wanted to touch them, especially, you know, a good Jew, a good Israelite always had to keep themselves clean. And these guys came from the outside, man. They were contaminated. And so they were not, they were not what we think of them as cute and lovable people. You know, I don't know. And I've met some shepherds out here in the West. They're rough. They're rough. Anyhow, but these are the bum class. This is not the high class. Turns out God has friends in low places, and he invites his friends from low places to see the most magnificent thing in the world that he's doing. He's bringing his son 
into the world. And so that's how the text reads. You know, the angels appear in the scene. They're like, hey, fellas. You know, they say, they're like, ah! And the fellows are like, holy cow, poop their pants. They're like, this scares the bejesus out of, which it should, which it should, right? And they say, hey, don't, don't fear. But there's great news. There is great news. Because unto you this day has been born in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And, and here's your sign. You're going to find him in swaddling clothes and in a manger. Well, this doesn't make the task easy for them because what they heard there is, so he's in a house. He's in a peasant house. That's where he is. So they're going to have to go knocking on doors, you know, that's, but then all of a sudden the scene turns electric and, and, and the heavens come alive with these angels and they say, glory to God in the highest peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And then the angels, you know, go and the, the shepherds, they, they look at each other and they're like, hey, man, we better go. And, 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 and I wish Luke would have filled this in, but I know he, mean, you know, he does mean it. You know, they, they definitely had to go searching. They're like knocking on doors. Hey, do you see a pregnant lady, you know, that might have had a baby? You know, it wouldn't take that long because this is not a big city. This is not a thriving metropolis. Bethlehem, as it has to be explained, is, you know, kind of a hoboker town. So it's not that big. It wouldn't take them very long to, to find out where this baby was. And when they get there, yes, indeed, there's the baby in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Three times that's emphasized that the baby, the gift of God, the God coming into the world, the son of God, the, the son of David, the Christ, the, you know, the savior that God had promised. Where is he? He's in a peasant home. He's not in an ivory tower. And so there's the big clash, and there's what Luke wants us to see. Caesar Augustus, what's he doing? He's counting people so he can control people, tax people in the name of peace, in the name of peace. And then what's God doing? God is bringing his own son into the world. God is coming into the world. And when God is coming into the world, what's the message? What's the big message? Glory to God in the highest, on earth, peace among those whom God is pleased. What is God doing? Offering peace and salvation to all people. Now, you got a choice. You're going to follow Caesar and what he says, or you're going to follow God and what he says. I kind of like the idea that God does not turn up in ivory towers. Of course, this all reminds me of a Garth Brooks song, right? I mean, you know, I've got friends in low places, not in ivory towers. And, 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 and that's, that's, that is the point here. The point is, is that God's friends are in low places. The point here is, is that Caesar is, is calling people to be counted so that he can tax them and control them. What's God doing? He's not controlling people. He's offering them salvation. He's offering them his son. And that is a major class because Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus, one of the biggest pieces of trouble that Christians got into with Rome was that they would not call Caesar Augustus or Tiberius or any of them the Christ, which they wanted to be called themselves, the son of God, which they called themselves. Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus, was voted as the son of God by the Senate. And so that's the clash. Who is the son of God? Is it Caesar 
with all of his pomp and circumstance and ivory towers and his highfalutin friends in ivory towers? Or is it God in low places? I don't know about you, but I come from low places. My whole history is based on low places. And I like it that God ignores, ignores the rich and the famous and the pompous and the mighty, and he brings his story to the most unsuspecting peasant world. That's the way God rolls. And you know, remember, Mary, Mary actually told us all of this in her opening prayer, the prayer that we prayed with Mary. This is how God rolls. He brings down the mighty from their thrones and exalts those of humble estate. Did you ever think about that? God's whole story takes place in, in humble pieces, humble places and humble people's lives. That God's, you know, main idea is that he has no concern for the riches of this world because his riches are true riches. Our riches are futile. Our riches are nothing. But we insist on looking for God in high places when God says, no thanks, I'll turn up in the low places. It's the way he rolls. Our soul, like Mary's soul, ought to magnify God because he's the God in low places. He picks up and uses and, 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 and elevates people like me and you. I love that. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I'm going to go with the baby born in swaddling clothes, wrapped in swaddling clothes and born in a manger. No thanks to any world leader. No thanks. I'll take this one. And I get to laugh whenever they think they're in control. All right, there we go. That's a story. We're sticking to it. See you next time.